On this episode of Lawrence Talks, KU PhD student and project manager with LDC Public Health, Rua Hasabala, joins us to discuss her work towards COVID and surveillance testing and the ways in which her research has informed these efforts. Lawrence Talks is brought to you in part thanks to our partners at the Hall Center, College of Liberal Arts and Sciences, KU Philosophy Department, and IDRH. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and online at lawrencetalks.org. Thank you for listening and enjoy. this episode of Lawrence Talks. I'm your host, David Tamez, and here to discuss her work as a researcher in public health and as the current project manager with LDC Public Health is PhD student Rua Hasabala. Rua, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, David. And and so just a kind of brief, uh, you know, contextualization and setting this up a bit, even though, uh, you know, on, on this podcast, we try to bring a little bit of humanities and and sort of discussion about, you know, humanity type of work, like especially philosophy, since that's what I do in ethics. I also think it's important to to discuss work being done within the community and uh, work that sort of applies theory or theoretical work to solving actual problems in our community. And I think, uh, Rua, I think you, you and, and uh, one, your research and and the work that you're currently doing with the Lawrence Douglas Public Health does that. And, and I think it's, it's uh, something that is worth discussing and, and highlighting a bit. So that's kind of what I justify, or at least uh, why it's important to have this, uh, one, why, why it's important to have the discussion that we're having and or just having this opportunity to highlight the work that uh, you and your team are currently doing. Um, but before we get to to discussing your, the work that you're currently doing, kind of want to give people a sense, the audience a sense of who you are and and generally what what's all involved in, in the research that you do. Thank you very much, David. And I'm just really glad to be on Lawrence Talks and, and say hello to everybody. And for me, you know, it's, uh, it's something that brings me joy being able to uh, work alongside communities. And so a little bit about me. So my name is Ruwa Hasabala, and I was born in Sudan and moved to the States in 1999. And so, you know, moving from Northeast Africa to Seattle, where I kind of grew up as well, and then to Kansas in 2004, the way I approach work is about bringing different perspectives and understanding. And so currently I serve as COVID testing equity project manager at Lawrence Douglas County Public Health. And I'm also a doctoral student of behavioral psychology focused on community health and development. And one of the main things related to the way I approach my work is collaborative. And so it's community-based participatory research. And so the way that I approach testing currently, it's how can we partner with our community 
to ensure that everyone has access to testing and also that individuals are able to provide ideas on how we can uh, support them. And so for me, I get to work closely with our community. I work closely with Christina Gentry, who serves as community liaison, Alex Kimball Williams as health equity planner and strategizing along with individuals focused on equity, um, how we can continue to expand access to testing and in turn also to support the vaccination effort. So that's a little bit of what I do. And this is a collaborative partnership that also includes other counties across Kansas. There's 10 counties focused on this effort. And I work closely alongside University of Kansas Medical Center because this grant is from KU Med and it's provided to these different local health departments. So it's been very interesting to work, having worked at the university setting to now work more at this local level with the health departments. And, and before we, cause that, that last aspect that you mentioned there is, uh, you know, from the university to, to this public aspect, um, before we get there, kind of for our, anyone in the audience or um, anyone generally that's m- maybe interested in studying public health or getting uh, maybe getting more involved in that sort of research. Um, what led you to go into public health and, and as, as a research endeavor and as uh, as for your for your studies here at the university, what kind of what sort of issues, what sort of uh, maybe experiences even uh, led you to wanting to get into that? to that study? That's a great question. So for me, my background is in clinical laboratory sciences. So I initially was a pre-med undergraduate at KU and I saw a flyer that basically said on it, uh, clinical laboratory sciences, CSI for the living. And I thought, this sounds neat. What is this? So I took an introductory course and this was a program where you do two years at the Lawrence campus and two years at KU Medical Center. So I went and lived at KU Medical Center and uh, near that area and attended this program that was pretty rigorous. And afterwards, I got a job at the laboratory at LMH where I worked as a medical lab scientist. And, you know, I, I enjoyed doing lab work and got exposed to a study abroad program in London called uh, the Social Determinants of Health Program at University College London. This was like a one year or one uh, one week program over the summer. And uh, in this program, I learned about what they call the social gradient. And this basically says that no matter what country you're from, your socioeconomic status directly impacts your health. So that's where I learned of health as a social justice issue. So I got very much interested in health justice and thought that studying a master's in public health and epidemiology would help me, you know, learn more about the field, but also I noticed that the global health field itself was not very diverse. And so I wanted to be able to be a part of working alongside communities that look like me um, and being able to take ownership of the data and be able to improve outcomes for all. And so that's how I got into the public health field. I worked um, as a graduate research assistant at KU Med in a role that was uh, called association manager for Kansas Public Health Association. And this really got me to know more about public health leaders in our state. And so for me, for anyone who's interested in public health, I would say get involved, you know, like intern or volunteer with a health organization, just get a feel for what it looks like, because you might find space where you really enjoy the work. And so even currently, you know, 
at the health department, if there are individuals who are interested in interning, feel free to reach out to me. And um, I know that our program at uh, the University of Kansas Behavioral Science Program has a community health concentration where there are practicum opportunities and things like that. So for me, getting involved with it really showed me how much I enjoy working with communities and how much I enjoy putting together my science background as well as community interest in community because growing up in Sudan, it's all about community and you know, uh, my dad's background is in cultural anthropology. So I really have an appreciation for culture. And so being able to combine all those interests in equity, you know, science, lab, health uh, together, it's it's very exciting for me. And, and kind of want to bring this uh, this one aspect you, you mentioned in, in the uh, study abroad program you, you did in London, that uh, public health can be can be a social justice issue. Um, and so I, I kind of wanted to bring out your thoughts on that, maybe a tad bit more is uh, in case it's not clear to everyone. Um, I think it might be to many, it is to me, I think intuitively that uh, just what, maybe what public health or how uh, thinking about public health is a matter of, of justice. Yes, yes. So for me, I see health as a human right. And so that's where it might fall into that health justice scope. We know that, um, you know, there is an importance in the way that we approach health that needs to be more intentional and connecting with communities, ensuring that communities are making decisions. Um, If we look at research that there are not any kind of historical injustices that we know have happened in the past. So the way that I see public health and health in general is that it's a human right for individuals to be healthy and your health is directly correlated with your quality of life, right? So no matter what someone might have or wealth, if the health is not there, you know, that impacts uh, everybody. And so for me, I see it that if we want to um, improve society in general and and make sure that people have great well-being, that health is is one of those things. And of course, it's tied to everything. You know, health is tied to uh, criminal justice. It's tied to housing. It's tied to education. And so, for me, it's all of these things are important. And so, health is just a factor. That's when we look at it from a public health perspective. It's more of a population level. So it takes into account all these other. Uh, factors or social determinants of health that are impacting someone's uh, quality of life. So for me, it's about really looking at how can we improve the conditions in which people live and uh, as opposed to focusing on the individual and, you know, perhaps laying the responsibility on one person. It's more of a systems approach. It's more about looking at what structures are in place, what barriers are in place and how can we remove them? So that's how I try to approach my work. I think getting closer to uh, discussing the current work that you're doing with uh, the Lawrence Douglas County uh, Public Health. Part of your work involves what what's called uh, surveillance testing. What what's all involved in in that? Yeah, great question. So with surveillance testing, it's really about ensuring that individuals are getting tested in our community and that we have an idea of the positive uh, cases in our community. So surveillance testing is about not just testing individuals who have symptoms, but 
having individuals get tested, whether it's randomly, for example, to be able to catch individuals that don't have any symptoms. So for example, we're partnering with the uh, Restaurant Association to have over 40 hospitality businesses that are about 1,200 employees that are being tested monthly. And it's been a very successful program in partnership with Lawrence Douglas Public Health, the Restaurant Association, and LMH. And this partnership is really about, you know, supporting our community, ensuring that guests are safe, that people know that the restaurants are testing. And at the same time, just being able to identify if there is a hidden positive case, because that's what happens with surveillance testing. You might test randomly some students at a school and an individual that didn't even know their positive turns out to be. So that helps with getting uh, individuals quarantined or separated to just ensure that we're not spreading the virus. So I co-lead surveillance testing with uh, Brian Bradfield with LMH, and we are partnering with schools, um, businesses, uh, different organizations to ensure that we are providing testing to our community. And I think in a, in one of our previous discussions, you mentioned uh, how part of this work uh, has gotten you involved and in, you also work with um, I guess the not the not the Justice Department, but you work with uh, judges, and because it, it has a, has a impact on on the work that they do. Could you say something about that too? Yeah. Yes, correct. So um, Chief Judge Jim McCabria reached out to the surveillance testing team because as we think about, you know, returning or resuming jury trials and thinking about a fair and speedy trial, part of that is to be able to continue, um, you know, jury trials. And so that also incorporates ensuring that people can get tested. Those who are serving on a jury can be tested, for example. So um, the testing team is looking into how can we support resuming jury trials and uh, by providing testing, you know, as a way to ensure that those who do show up and uh, feel safe and that we are, uh, you know, going ahead and following public health protocols. So it's interesting how, you know, testing can be tied to so much, including, uh, you know, um, the the courts and, and being able to uh, speed up or have fair trials. And so because we know with the pandemic, there's been a pause on so many things, um, testing can help continue that because as we know, if individuals feel safe, we're getting, you know, individuals are negative, we're not um, in unintentionally exposing people to the virus, then these things can continue continue. And so I think it's interesting just seeing the wide reach of testing in general. Yeah. And, and there was a, there was a, uh, and I think it, continuing with our previous discussion that you mentioned also that uh, how masks kind of play a role uh, or kind of affect the way we think of, of uh, the juries and, and jurors, the, the jobs that they have as uh, in terms of assessing the uh, merits of a case or the merits of, of the evidence. Um, how do masks play a role or, um, in, in that in that process? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, as we um, invited Judge McCabria to our surveillance testing meeting, we had a conversation about masks and what would be allowed and how do we keep things safe. But yes, there was also that discussion of um, if an individual is wearing a mask, you know, what does that mean as far as um, 
you know, when, when someone decides, you know, about witnesses or reading someone's face and, um, there's, there's that question of what does a, you know, does a mask make a difference, um, in, in being able to see someone's face versus, um, you know, and what does that mean exactly? Right. Because we know that, um, historically, if as a black woman, I'm wearing a mask uh, in public, like a black, black mask or you know even being a muslim woman wearing a mask where only my eyes show there might be some biases when someone sees my face right and so um masks do play a role in in certain communities as far as wearing it and how someone might be treated um or profiled and so uh there's also that discussion of like you know um within within um you know jury trials and things like that. What does that mean? And, and also putting that together with public health guidance, right? That we also want people to wear masks to make sure that it's, the COVID virus is not spreading. So, yeah, I mean, there's, it's interesting, you know, just talking about these different um, pieces of uh, public health guidance and also the social impacts that it might have. Regarding the, the, the general work of, of testing, um, give it, can you give us a sense of the sort of uh, me- the mechanics and the logistics that are involved in um, this sort of the kind of wide scale or the maybe at least in our in our sense, uh, it's not terribly too wide of a scale, but it's uh, it's a it's an undertaking on its own doing a sort of mass testing that that uh, our our counties and our and our city has undertaken. So can you give us a little sense of the logistics and the, the mechanics there. Yeah. So, you know, as we think about when the pandemic began, right, it, it's a little bit different now where we are with testing. In the beginning, it wasn't as available, right? I remember kind of when it was spreading nationally, there were questions about, you know, who has the privilege to get a test and why aren't certain people getting tested? And so through time, testing became more available, but, you know, it was a very fast moving sort of process as far as setting up surveillance testing. And I joined in December. December. December 7th is when I joined Lawrence Douglas Public Health. So before me, Sarah Hartzig did amazing work in setting up, for example, the mass um, testing events along with Brian and the surveillance team. And logistically, that looked like having a certain amount of volunteers, you know, creating a schedule online where people can sign up to get tested, having volunteers available on the weekend, for example, ensuring that um, volunteers know kind of what they're doing as far as when individuals drive through, the instructions to provide them for having a test, and then having someone that would be able to collect that sample after an individual's done. And now we are at a better place in that we have the support of the Kansas Department of Health and Environment with a fixed site. So now if anyone wants to get tested, they can go to Walmart and there are staff from the state who can provide testing. And that's anytime from 7.30 to 5.30, Monday through Saturday. And that just became available recently. With the recent like freezing Arctic weather, um, it was moved indoors to United Methodist Church uh, on Vermont Street. But starting tomorrow, they'll be back out at Walmart because the weather's going to be better. So now we have this like expansion of testing and it lifts a little bit of that heavy work that folks that we were doing um, on the ground. And then we also have some amazing community partners like Sanctuary Alliance, Lawrence Mutual Aid Network, Sunrise Project, 
United Way, and our community partners are really helping us to reach populations that otherwise wouldn't be reached. So if someone needs a test delivered, there's now a way that our Lawrence Mutual Aid Network navigators and community champions can support to make that happen. And so there's been a building of capacity as we partner with organizations. And then we've had local businesses that said, hey, we'd be interested in carrying some test kits, right? So we've been packaging, uh, Christina Gentry and I, uh, these different test kits that include a test, a mask, there are also hand wipes in there and um, hand sanitizer. And then these packages are being delivered. And so uh, to housing authority, to different organizations. And so it's been a really neat effort to, to look at, okay, what barriers are people facing and how can we address that? Is it transportation? Okay, well, how can we find a way to get the test to you? So it's been great just seeing the different kinds of partnerships and we wanna expand. So uh, we got mobile testing van now available. And one thing is it's going to start going to Baldwin Public Library. And uh, I'm looking at other locations that this van could be helpful. So working with our community partners to identify that. And um, Lawrence Public Library, I think, would be a great spot as well. So it's been a really neat opportunity to say, how can we support? Um, and also part of that is, is removing barriers by providing like, um, you know, certain um, things that folks might need, right? So is it sleeping bags? Is it winter clothing? Is it uh, food? Um, so as part of our efforts, we can also provide these things in addition to the test. And that's where our community champions are really helping us because they're helping us to identify what it is that people really need. And in, in case any anyone, uh, as, as they listen to this or as uh, when they see this episode come out, what's the best way to contact you and your team if they have ideas or know of sites that where the van or the mobile van can can go? Yeah, that's a great question. So email me. I'd be more than happy to take a look at that. And that is R Hasabala, H-A-S-S-A-B-A-L-L-A at ldchealth.org. And I can send you that, uh, David, that you can post as well along with that. Um, and so, yeah, feel free to just reach out to me through an email. Um, and I'd be more than happy to connect to see how can we, how can we, um, you know, decide on a location for a mobile testing van. Perhaps you're someone is in an apartment complex where they think this would be helpful or just any sort of area, or maybe you just would like some tests uh, provided to your business that you want to keep on site. So we're more than happy to support in these efforts. And yeah, anyone can reach out with, with these requests or ideas. Besides, uh, you know, obviously the, you mentioned the weather that, uh, at least had you move move the operation inside and find another sort of temporary home for it. What are some of the other impediments that you've come across along the way or that maybe are there? Yeah. What were they originally or what were they at the beginning and have they been sort of thoroughly or sufficiently addressed in your mind? And, and what are some of the impediments that, that continue to kind of stall your stall the work or stall the testing a bit? Yeah. So as I think about the first one, the first one being not having like a fixed site, you know, other counties had the same, but for us, it took a little while. And also, you know, uh, the state was looking based on need and we were doing pretty well with testing. Um, so I think the first um, challenge was not having a site where folks can just go to any time. 
right? Um, now that we have this well health site that's set up, that's fixed and anyone can go anytime, that removes that barrier, right? Before folks might have had to go to Overland Park or Topeka to go to one of those go get tested sites. And so now folks can just go to the website, gogettested.com, and then they are able to, when they log in or put in their information to get tested, they're able to see a Lawrence site pickup show up on the screen. So I think that's that's one way that it's been really helpful. And then just continuing to partner with organizations to say who might be uh, who might be missed, you know, unintentionally and having a way for building those, you know, continuing those trusted relationships and building off of that and partnering. I think that also helps because then it allows for reaching people who might be at home and can't make it to a mass testing site or, you know, to any other fixed site. So then having the mobile testing ban, right, just to be able to reach people where they're at, I think it's important for anything to, you know, for any effort to be able to reach people where they're at. So that definitely allows uh, reaching other areas and geographic regions. And then I, you know, I look at what are ways that we can continue to improve the process, right? And so um, I know that we have English and Spanish translations of materials, but I'm looking to what to see what other languages can we include, right? Because there might be still some language barriers to address. So that's something that we are working on. Uh, we also know one one impediment related to testing is what happens if someone's positive, you know, and they have to stay home and miss wages. So I think there are more uh, broader uh, issues at hand where someone might decide not to get tested because what would it mean if they're positive and, you know, it just changes everything for them or, or puts them at risk of losing their job. Right. So we're looking to see how can we support that? How can, you know, if someone tests positive, what can we do to support that individual so that they feel like, okay, I'll get tested and um, might not miss on paying my bills or utilities and things like that. So trying to find out what are ways that these barriers could be removed. Um, and then, uh, you know, things related to stigma and things like that. Um, but I think here in Douglas County, um, I feel like individuals um, are getting tested at a pretty good rate. And I think we are now in a different space than we were a year ago because now it's just more available, right? So it's just continuing to identify, okay, how can we ensure that no one's being missed? And part of that's also looking at accessibility. You know, are we ensuring that individuals are being reached? Um, are there certain requirements or accommodations that need to be looked at? And so that's another reason why I'm looking and I am starting to partner with organizations that focus on uh, people with disabilities. So continuing to ensure that we are reaching out to everybody um, because it goes back to that idea of health justice and, and how we want to reach everyone and ensure everyone has uh, adequate opportunities for health. And so, yeah, it's been a really uh, great opportunity to continue to partner and continue to improve on the efforts as we reach the community. Okay, great. And, and so uh, I'm kind of curious as, as to, because you mentioned the the sort of, because um, one thing you can't always help uh, are the sort of maybe beliefs or, or the stigma that people often associate with uh, getting tested. Also, the the worries that people might have is that if they they do end up getting uh, or yeah, getting a positive 
result and have to miss some time at work. And you said you, you've sort of began, have begun working or at least thinking about some of the, some of the accommodations or that might be able to be provided. Have there been any initial sort of suggestions or thoughts about uh, responding to those sort of concerns? Yes. Yes. So, you know, for example, in looking at mass vaccination clinics or mass testing sites to have a walk-up option because not everyone would be able to go in the lanes with the cars and everything like that. So one thing, for example, with testing is we also at that well health site have a walk-up option. So an individual doesn't have to be in a car, you know, and that's one example of um, being open to someone being uh, accommodating if they were to just walk up or perhaps, you know, they just, they're not in a car. Uh, another thing is, you know, there's no insurance that's needed for doing these things. So if you show up to get tested and you don't have an ID or insurance, you can still get tested. And so that also removes that barrier of, you know, of knowing that to be able to reach individuals, uh, removing requirements like insurance and things like that just makes it easier for access. So having things, having things be like a free test, walk-up option um, can all help, but there's always room for more, right? So looking at, you know, is, American Sign Language needed for an individual? And do we have someone who might be able to support that? And um, different languages, as I had talked about, and even inclusive language in forms. And so uh, one of our partners, Sanctuary Alliance and Lawrence Mutual Aid Network, you know, is able to take a look at some of the forms and, and provide any feedback or suggestions about how can we make the language more inclusive? And so when I look at language, I, I appreciate that perspective that it's not just the diversity in languages, but also the inclusivity within it and, you know, how, and then also, you know, is it reaching who it needs to? So I think a lot of it's also communication strategies, you know, so as part of my work, I connect with nine other counties doing this similar work. So, you know, people are able to share some advice or similar challenges. And so, uh, yeah, stigma is definitely a, a thing. And, um, you know, being from an immigrant family, I also understand hesitation among immigrant families to related to testing or vaccinations. And so um, part of the uh, work is also about ensuring that folks feel, you know, are communicated to that it's um, that it's communication that is tailored specifically to populations and and so I think that's important and also just collaborative, right? So as we're working on something to have someone who's directly from that community be able to be a part of that process. So all of that kind of helps inform the way that I like to approach the work. So there's there's a question that I, I noticed that you've, in, in, in your work, you've been, I think, uh, in line with what you're sort of doing right now, which is sort of doing this public outreach and and discussing which, uh, what's all involved in the work you're doing, why it's important, and the other sort of panels and, and uh, public outreach efforts that you've been a part of. One, what were some of the questions or common questions that you think the public uh, has had? And how would you sort of characterize generally um, our community's sort of response to to these efforts? Yeah, that's a great question. And I can speak just at least from my own perspective, knowing that there are others 
within our Lawrence Douglas County Public Health and Unified Command that may receive questions that are also super important. So what I saw like, um, and actually we will have next Tuesday, um, another panel, it would be part two, and that will be at 6 p.m. on Tuesday the 23rd. But this is a part two of our panel on testing vaccines and equity. And one thing I noticed with the last panel that we had was there were lots of questions on vaccinations and no surprise right now, there's lots more interest in, in vaccinations compared to testing. And um, some, a lot of the questions actually were related to logistics, right? Um, about how do I sign up? You know, how do I know that my spot is saved for the sign up form? When do I hear back? Um, and so lots of it was clearing up and ensuring that people had an idea of here's where the form's at that you can sign up for. Here's the process behind it because a unified command is made up of many different branches. This includes surveillance testing that I'm on, vaccination unit, uh, community well-being, logistics, planning. And so, um, you know, this panel served as a way to introduce people to the structure of Unified Command, a little bit about the process, and then answer common questions, which at the time it was because it was the first week we had our first public uh, vaccine clinic where people age 65 and up were signed up. So we had a lot of individuals from that demographic asking questions about what should I bring to the site and, um, you know, any kind of logistics about signing up. And so we hope that this second panel can serve to answer additional questions. And um, I'm expecting we will have more vaccination questions as opposed to testing um, because people are just interested and that's what's happening right now. But for example, yesterday we had the vaccination clinic and in about five hours, over 2000 people were vaccinated. And so this took about 190 volunteers and to, to be able to be a part of that um, has been really exciting. And I am I'm hoping that we continue to have um, vaccines available because we want individuals to be reached. We want people to get vaccinated. And our equity impact advisory team has worked to um, collaborate with community organizations and allocate out of all vaccines that come in, 10% uh, to individuals who might not otherwise be reached. So those who might not have internet access and can't really sign up right away or may have some other barriers. So we have a list of uh, over 20 organizations that serve individuals who are typically underserved um, and really looking to do a more intentional reach. And so there's amounts of vaccines that are saved just for that specific population. And, um, you know, there will be more information coming out about you know, how folks can connect with their local organization or connect um, to find a way to get vaccinated. But it's difficult, you know, when there's 40,000 people within one phase. And uh, when it was starting to come in, it was about a thousand doses a week. And so you can kind of do the math on how long that would take to get everybody. But, you know, as hopefully we continue to get more vaccines and as we go, go into the summer, I really um, hope that we can continue to get people vaccinated. And um, it's been really great to see the work being done in Douglas County. Um, I feel like individuals are working together to try to um, have this be out as soon as possible. And, and it's not perfect. I know that the process is uh, difficult and um, in the beginning, right, was everything was new and, uh, and individuals are trying to work through the kinks of these different systems. And so um, as we move on and continue, the process gets improved. And so I know that individuals working on this effort are putting in many hours just trying to make sure that uh, we are 
taken into account what the community needs and that we are just getting vaccines out into arms and ensuring that it's equitable in that some folks are missed just because they can't go and sign on a form. So the Senior Resource Center has provided information and I can also message that to you, David, about who to call if you can't sign up on the form online. So you can do a phone call and someone can walk someone through signing up for the vaccine. The Senior Resource Center is also expanding to support um, individuals on site and just providing more support for folks who might need it. So uh, I think it's it's a great time of just community stepping up, trying to support and, uh, and we just hope to continue to have that effort and uh, continue to get the vaccines out, but it's been amazing to see the amount of volunteers coming out. And there's the United Way has a link. I can also share that if someone's interested to volunteer, then they can uh, do so. And I think it's, I encourage anyone who's interested to volunteer for a day, see how that looks, that process. Um, I think it's uh, it's a very uh, eye-opening opportunity and very much organized process in Douglas County as far as how that goes. So just hope that we can continue to get more vaccines so more folks have that opportunity to get contacted. Yeah, I think one of the last, uh, one of the points you made in uh, in your, your answer here was that the just how much amount of the amount of work that folks are putting into into making all putting all of this together, not just with testing, but also with with vaccination and just the sort of uh, decisions that they have to make on a, on a daily basis. I think, at least in my view, and in, in my the way I've you know perceived the way that this is all discussed on uh, and certain number of outlets is that not enough is being made of uh, or discussed of the sort of work that's being done on the ground. And that people get, I think, will may get the wrong impression or, or develop their own sort of impressions of what's going on. But there's, there's just a great deal of good work and genuine attempts to answer very, very tough decisions that we, that people have to make in this sort of, when putting on this sort of operation. That's correct. You know, and the Unified Command is working on creating a call center that's more holistic, that just covers all of the county, because that is one way where we can answer the volume of questions. I think because this is new and it's, it's a lot of work, there might be more questions than there are answers or folks might not be able to get an answer right away. So Unified Command is working to address that and having a quicker way to be able to address these questions. And you're right. I think if uh, you know folks aren't hearing back or uh, they they're not aware of the process, then it's harder to be able to sympathize or understand kind of what's happening behind the scenes. And so, you know, kind of being inside of the Lawrence Douglas County Public Health gave me an appreciation for all the work that's going into it, and just the fact that things are always changing. So it's not always things at the local level that are changing things. It's, you know, federal and state level uh, guidelines might change real quick. And so it's also about adapting to changes that not that are always within the local control. And so I think that's also another part of it, um, that this is this pandemic has been uh, devastating to communities and, you know, specifically our black communities and our Native American and indigenous communities. And it's really when we think about why it's so important to do equity work and why it's so important to, um, you know, be alongside communities in this process and continue to have that connection and communication. I think that's so key. And 
you know, I know that um, everybody wants this this thing to get under control and be done, right? And um, and my role specifically came because of COVID. And so, you know, I joke around about, you know, once I lose my job, that's when we're good, you know, as far as COVID being over. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's an amazing amount of speed that things have to go. Uh, the public health department has twice the number of staff as it did a year ago. So even between uh shutting down the the facility to be able to do a vaccine clinic for a full day. Uh, there's hiring of new staff. There's, you know, being able to continue our functions on outside of COVID. And right now the priority is just COVID and, and vaccinations and getting and testing and continuing to get that message out there. But yeah, lots of people that are, that are wanting and are centering equity into the work and, and um, because everyone's so busy, it's not always easy to, to be able to share that. Um, so I think it's really great to have these types of platforms to share that and also to, to, you know, let people know that, yes, I, you know, we'd love to continue taking feedback and, and ways that things can be improved. Um, and I, I've really enjoyed being on the testing side of things. And that has also helped um, some of the vaccination efforts, because when we talk equity, that overlaps everything. So um, yeah, I'm just happy to uh, have such great community partners and look forward to connecting with more community partners as well. Yeah. And just to sort of reiterate something is that, and if people, so if people do have questions or have concerns about the whole operation and how, how things work, one key way or one very uh, answering those questions is volunteering, being being part of the process yourself, I think. Yes, I think that's a great idea. And we, yeah, we've had such amazing volunteers and uh, definitely encourage anybody who wants to kind of get an idea of how does it look to, to sign up to be a volunteer, you know, and um, it's, it's a great opportunity just to see what's there uh, we have lunch provided and other sorts of snacks and drinks. Um, and even if someone's like outside, there's been accommodations. So yesterday I was outside um, for the monitoring, which is basically just being able to wait 50 minutes for folks who have been vaccinated to make sure there's no side effects. So we kind of give them their vaccine card and we release them to go home. And basically, you know, every 30 minutes, I got a 30 minute break because it was so cold out, right? So it's a very organized effort. And so if someone's afraid of the cold, don't worry. There's, you know, really great organization. And um, and just everyone that you see at the vaccine site is just happy to be there, which it's really great to be able to, you know, have individuals come through and, and feel like, okay, there's folks who care about me, you know? And so it's a, for, for me, it's about how do we continue expanding that effort and then also meeting people where they're at. Um, that's something that, I think is that future goal and, and part of it's also partnering with local pharmacies and other organizations that can reach people in their home. So, yeah. Great. Yeah. And, and one thing uh, I kind of want to end off with and uh, is going back to, because uh, you and I are both graduate students and there, there are a number of uh, grad students who probably, uh, will probably listen to this. And one thing I'm, I'm interested in asking other graduate students and other researchers is um, where they might find that their, you know, their studies uh, and the research that they've done as that they've done as students kind of leaves or, or where the sort of uh, gap 
comes in to play when it comes uh, between their their academic research and the public work that they do. So I wonder if you've had time or had a chance to kind of reflect on on those sort of uh, questions. Yeah, so I have reflected on it before, and I think what brings it together for me is that my academic or research work is is kind of rooted in community-based participatory research. And that basically means that we are participating with the community from the very beginning, from before we collect any research, you know, so you consult with the community, they're part of that research process, they engage in it, um, they provide the guidance. And when it's time for looking at results or the information, the community's with you from A to Z. And so in bringing that work out in practice, that's how I approach the work and how do we continue to seek feedback or guidance from the community, engage them in the process. And that's how I've been approaching testing. And um, I think about that too, you know, about um, how research is translated into practice and, and just ensuring that our community um, has has that opportunity to be a part of it. And so that's kind of how I see it. And the other research piece is looking at the socio-ecological model all the way from the individual to the broader, you know, organizational systems level. So I care about in our work, how's the impact beyond the individual? Are we, are we doing any changes that are affecting it more at a broader systems level as opposed to just individual, right? So that means going beyond just providing information to changing the environment, changing, you know, when, so if we were to say testing, for example, changing the environment to make sure that there's no barriers to someone getting tested, um, expanding hours, things like that. So I think how I approach, I try to close that gap in, in what I do being informed by these different strategies or theories. So one thing I want to ask you generally, what are some of the things that you want our audience to take away from our conversation today? What what salient information should should uh, they be should they take away? That's a great question. I think for me, for the audience to know that we do have testing available, that I encourage folks to get tested. Um, it's at that well health site at Walmart, but to also know that there are individuals who are really working to ensure that um, the community's voice is heard and that we are available and that I'm happy to connect with folks who you know want to be engaged with this effort, whether it's as a volunteer or as an intern. If anyone's interested in learning more about public health, you know, feel free to let me know. I do enjoy the field and you feel like you are able to be a part of making a difference. And so one thing I would take away for people is that is just that there are resources available in our community um, and that, you know, there are individuals who are working to continue to improve the process, uh, but specifically related to testing, we are providing that out to our community. And um, if anyone has any need for testing or wants like a testing kit that might include things like hand sanitizer, mask, things like that, to please reach out to me or Christina Gentry. And we're more than happy to provide that. And so that's kind of my key takeaway that, um, you know, to continue to get tested and, um, and to sign up for the vaccine interest form and that, you know, and if someone's interested that I'd love for them to volunteer at one of the vaccine clinics, um, but there are ways to get involved in, and it helps to be involved to just kind of see the process. But I think as far as, um, you know, testing goes to, to just know that there are areas to reach out to and, and that these get posted on the Lawrence Douglas County public health site, as well as uh, the Douglas County government page. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, and so with that, I, I just want to thank you again for, 
for joining me today and and for providing the the sort of insights into uh, the work that you're doing, the work that you and your team are doing, and and just sort of its effect on um, uh, on our community. Thank you so much, David. I really enjoyed being on Lawrence Talks and, and appreciate all your work too. And with that, we thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of Lawrence Talks. Mm-hmm.